0: Chapter Nineteen of Moods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, BC. Moods by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter Nineteen. Six Months the ensuing half-year seemed fuller of duties and events than any sylvia had ever known at first she found it very hard to live her life alone for inward solitude oppressed her and external trials were not wanting only to the few who had a right to know had the whole trouble been confided they were discreet from family pride if from no tenderer feeling but the curious world outside of the small circle was full of shrewd surmises of keen eyes for discovering domestic breaches and shrill tongues for proclaiming them warwick escaped a suspicion being so little known so seldom seen but for the usual nine days matrons and venerable maids wagged their caps lifted their hands and sighed as they sipped their dish of scandal and of tea poor young man i always said how it would be she was so peculiar my dear creature haven't you heard that mrs moore isn't happy with her husband and that he has gone abroad quite broken-hearted sylvia felt this deeply but received it as her just punishment and bore herself so meekly that public opinion soon turned a somersault and the murmur changed to poor young thing what could she expect my dear i have it from the best authority that mr moore has made her miserable for a year and now left her broken-hearted after that the gossips took up some newer tragedy and left mrs moore to mend her heart as best she could a fever very gratefully received as hester Prynne seemed to see some trace of her own sin in every bosom by the glare of the scarlet letter burning on her own so sylvia living in the shadow of a household grief found herself detecting various phases of her own experience in others she had joined that sad sisterhood called disappointed women a large class that many deem it to be though there are few of us who have not seen members of it unhappy wives mistaken or forsaken lovers meek souls who make life a long penance for the sins of others gifted creatures kindled into fitful brilliancy by some inward fire that consumes but cannot warm these are the women who fly to convents write bitter books sing songs full of heartbreak act splendidly the passion they have lost or never won who smile and try to live brave, uncomplaining lives, but whose tragic eyes betray them, whose voices, however sweet or gay, contain an undertone of hopelessness, whose faces sometimes startle one with an expression which haunts the observer long after it is gone. Undoubtedly Sylvia would have joined the melancholy chorus, and fallen to lamenting that ever she was born had she not possessed a purpose that took her out of herself and proved her salvation faith's words took root and blossomed intent on making her life a blessing not a reproach to her father she lived for him entirely he had taken her back to him as if the burden of her unhappy past should be upon his shoulders the expiation of her faults came from him alone sylvia understood this now and nestled to him so gladly so confidently he seemed to have found again the daughter he had lost and be almost content to have her all his own how many roofs cover families or friends who live years together yet never truly know each other who love and long and try to meet, yet fail to do till some unexpected emotion or event performs the work. In the weeks that followed the departure of the friend, Sylvia discovered this and learned to know her father. No one was so much to her as he. No one so fully entered into her thoughts and feelings, for sympathy drew them tenderly together and sorrow made them equals. As man and woman they talked, as father and daughter they loved, and the beautiful relation became their truest solstice and support. Miss Ewell, both rejoiced at and rebelled against this, was generous, yet mortally jealous, made no complaint, but grieved in private, and one day amazed her sister by announcing that, being of no farther use at home she had decided to be married both mr ewell and sylvia had desired this event but hardly dared to expect it in spite of sundry propitious signs and circumstances a certain worthy widower had haunted the house of late evidently on matrimonial thoughts intent a solid gentleman both physically and financially speaking possessed of an ill-kept house bad servants and nine neglected children this prospect however alarming to others had great charms for prue nor was the reverend gamel bliss repugnant to her being a rubicund blad personage much given to fine linen long dinners and short sermons his third spouse had been suddenly translated and through the years of mourning had not yet expired things went so hardly with gamiel that he could no longer delay casting his pastoral eyes over the flock which had already given three lambs to its fold in search of a fourth none appeared whose meek graces were sufficiently attractive or whose dowries were sufficiently large meantime the nine olive branches grew wild the servants revelled the ministerial digestion suffered the sacred shirts went buttonless, and their wearer was well-nigh distraught at this crisis he saw prudence and fell into a way of seating himself before the well-endowed spinster with a large cambric pocket-handkerchief upon his knee a frequent tear meandering down his florid countenance and volcanic sighs agitating his capacious waistcoat as he poured his woes into her ear prue had been deeply touched by these moist appeals and was not much surprised when the reverend gentleman went ponderously down upon his knee before her in the good old-fashioned style which frequent use had endeared to him murmuring with an appropriate quotation and a subterranean sob miss ewell a good wife is a crown to her husband be such a one to me unworthy as i am and a mother to my bereaved babes who suffer for a tender woman's care she merely upset her sewing-table with an appropriate start but speedily recovered and with a maidenly blush murmured in return dear me how very unexpected pray speak to papa rise, i beg call me gamaliel and i obey gasped the stout lover divided between rapture and doubts of his ability to perform the feat alone gamaliel sighed prue surrendering her hand my prudence blessed among women responded the blissful bliss and having saluted the fair member allowed it to help him rise when after a few decorous endearments he departed to papa and the bride-elect rushed up to sylvia with the incoherent announcement my dearest child i have accepted him it was such a surprise though so touchingly done i was positively mortified maria had swept the room so ill his knees were white with lint and i'm a very happy woman bless you love sit down and tell me all about it cried her sister don't try to sew but cry if you like and let me pet you for indeed i am rejoiced but prue preferred to rock violently and boggle down a seam as the best quietest for her fluttered nerves while she told her romance received congratulations and settled a few objections made by sylvia who tried to play the prudent matron I'm afraid he is too old for you, my dear. Just the age. A man should always be ten years older than his wife. A woman of thirty-five is in the prime of life, and if she hasn't arrived at years of discretion, then she never will. Shall I wear pearl-colored silk and a white bonnet, or just a very handsome traveling dress? Whichever you like. "'But, Prue, isn't he rather stout? "'I won't say corpulent. "'Sylvia, how can you? "'Because Papa is a shadow, "'you call a fine, manly person like Gam, Mr. Bliss, corpulent. "'I always said I would not marry an invalid. MacGregor died of apoplexy last week, "'I heard, at a small dinner party.' fell forward with his head upon the cheese and expired without a groan and where can you find a more robust and healthy man than mr bliss not a gray hair and gout his only complaint so aristocratic you know i've loads of fine old flannel just the thing for him sylvia commanded her countenance with difficulty and went on with her maternal inquiries. He is a personable man, and an excellent one, I believe, yet I should rather dread the responsibility of nine small children, if I were you. They are my chief inducement to the match. Just think of the state those dears must be in, with only a young governess, and half a dozen giddy maids to see to them i long to be among them and named an early day because measles and scarlatina are coming round again and only fanny and the twins gus and gam have had either i know all their names and ages dispositions and characters and love them like a mother already he perfectly adores them and that is very charming in a learned man like mr bliss if that is your feeling it will all go well i have no doubt but prue i don't wish to be unkind dear do you quite like the idea of being the fourth mrs bliss bless me i never thought of that poor man it only shows how much he must need consolation and proves how good a husband he must have been no sylvia i don't care a particle i never knew those estimable ladies and the memory of them shall not keep me from making gamomile happy if i can what he goes through now is almost beyond belief my child just think the coachman drinks the cook has tea-parties whenever she likes and supports her brother's family out of her prequisites as she calls her bare-faced thefts the housemaid romps with the indoor man and have endless followers three old maids set their caps at him and that hussy i must use a strong expression that hussy of a governess makes love to him before the children it is my duty to marry him i shall do it and put an end to this fearful state of things sylvia asked but one more question now seriously do you love him very much will he make you as happy as my dear old girl should be prue dropped her work and hiding her face on sylvia's shoulder answered with a plaintive sniff or two and much real feeling yes my dear i do i tried to love him and i did not fail i shall be happy for i shall be busy i am not needed here any more and so i am glad to go away into a home of my own feeling sure that you can fill my place and maria knows my ways too well to let things go amiss now kiss me and smooth my collar for papa may calm me down the sisters embraced and cried a little as women usually find it necessary to do at such interesting times then fell to planning the wedding outfit and deciding between the light silk and white bonnet or the handsome travelling suit miss ewell made a great sacrifice to the proprieties by relinquishing her desire for a stately wedding and much to sylvia's surprise and relief insisted that as the family was then situated it was best to have no stir or parade but to be married quietly at church and slip unostentatiously out of the old life into the new her will was law and as the elderly bridegroom felt that there was no time to spare and the measles continued to go about seeking whom they might devour prue did not keep him waiting long three weeks is very little time and nothing will be properly done for one must have everything new when one is married of course and manicule makers are but mortal women exorbitant in their charges this season i assure you so be patient Gamaliel, and spend the time in teaching my little ones to love me before i come my dearest creature i will and well did the enamored gentleman perform his promise prue kept hers so punctually that she was married with the bastings in her wedding-gown and two dozen pocket-handkerchiefs still unhemmed, facts which disturbed her even during the ceremony. A quiet time throughout, and after a sober feast, a tearful farewell, Mrs. Gamimiel Bliss departed, leaving a great void behind and carrying joy to the heart of her spouse comfortable to the souls of the excited nine destruction to the high life below stairs and order peace and plenty to the realm over which she was to know a long and prosperous reign hardly had the excitement of this event subsided when another occurred to keep sylvia from melancholy and bring an added satisfaction to her lonely days across the sea there came to her a little book bearing her name upon its title-page quaintly printed and bound in some foreign style plain and unassuming without but very rich within for there she found warwick's essays and between each of these one of the poems from moore's diary far away there in switzerland they had devised this pleasure for her and done honour to the woman whom they both loved by dedicating to her the first fruits of their lives alpen rosen was its title and none could have better suited it in sylvia's eyes for to her warwick was the alps and more the roses each had helped the other warwick's rugged prose gathered grace from moore's poetry and Moore's smoothly flowing lines acquired power from warwick's prose each had given her his best and very proud was sylvia of the little book over which she poured day after day living on and in it eagerly collecting all praises resenting all censures and thinking it the one perfect volume in the world others felt and acknowledged its worth as well for though fashionable libraries were not besieged by inquiries for it and no short-lived enthusiasm welcomed it a place was found for it on many study tables where real work was done innocent girls sang the songs and loved the poet while thoughtful women looking deeper honoured the man young men received the essays as brave protests against the evils of the times and old men felt their faith in honour and honesty revive the wise saw great promise in it and the most critical could not deny its beauty and its power early in autumn arrived a fresh delight and Jesse's little daughter became peacemaker as well as idol. Mark forgave his enemies and swore eternal friendship with all mankind the first day of his baby's life. And when his sister brought it to him, he took both in his arms, making atonement for many hasty words and hard thoughts by the broken whisper i have two little sylvias now this wonderful being absorbed both households from grandpa to the disposed sovereign Tully, whom sylvia called her own and kept much with her while prue threatened to cause a rise in the price of stationery by the daily and copious letters full of warning and advice which she sent feeling herself a mother in Israel among her tribe of nine, now safely carried through the Red Sea of Scarlatina. Happy faces made perpetual sunshine round the little Sylvia, but none was she so dear a boon as to her young godmother. Jessie became a trifle jealous of old Sylvia. As she now called herself for she almost lived in baby's nursery hurrying over in time to assist at its morning ablutions hovering about its crib when it slept daily discovering beauties invisible even to its mother's eyes and working early and late on dainty garments rich in the embroidery which she now thanked prue for teaching her against her will the touch of the baby hands seemed to heal her sore heart. The sound of the baby voice, even when most unmusical, had a soothing effect upon her nerves. The tender cares its helplessness demanded absorbed her thoughts and kept her happy in a new world whose delights she had never known till now. From this time a restful expression replaced the patient heart hopelessness her face had worn before and in the lullabies she sang the listeners caught echoes of the cheerful voice they had never thought to hear again gay she was not but serene quiet was all she asked and shutting society seemed happiest to sit at home with baby and its gentle mother with mark now painting as if inspired or with her father who relinquished business and devoted himself to her a pleasant pause seemed to have come after troublous days a tranquil hush in which she sat waiting for what time should bring her but as she waited the woman seemed to bloom more beautifully than the girl had done Light and color revisited her countenance, clearer and deeper than of old. Fine lines ennobled features faulty in themselves, and the indescribable refinement of a deep inward life made itself manifest in look, speech, and gesture, giving promise of a gracious womanhood. Mr. Yule argued well from this repose, and believed the dawning loveliness to be a herald of returning love. He was thinking hopeful thoughts one day as he sat writing to Moore, whose faithful correspondent he had become. When Sylvia came in with one of the few notes she had sent her husband while away. Just in time. God bless me, child, what is it? well, might he exclaim, for in his daughter's face he saw an expression which caused his hope to suddenly become a glad belief. Her lips smiled, though in her eyes there lay a shadow which he could not comprehend, and her answer did not enlighten him as she put her arm about his neck and laid her slip of paper in his hand. "Enclose my note, and send the letter then, father. We will talk. End of chapter nineteen. Recording by Lindnerby Neilson. Vancouver, b c.